Hello and welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I am your host Tarang Gupta and our guest today is Nick Chandy. Nick is the CEO and co-founder of Forward AI, a Canada-based fintech startup helping small and medium businesses better manage their cash flow and accounting data. Before Forward AI, Nick co-founded Slickbuy, which provides online accounting software for over 40,000 small businesses. And in 2019, Nick had a successful exit from a firm he co-founded called Welcome Networks. Nick has an MBA and a bachelor's in engineering. He is also the co-chair of the British Columbia Tech CEO Scale C Council and regularly contributes to the Forbes Finance Council. Join us as we explore why most SMEs struggle to get funding from traditional banks, how Forward AI is using data aggregation to project clients' cash flow needs, current state of the fintech ecosystem in Canada, next vision for the next five years, and much more. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Nick. Good afternoon. Oh, hi, Trang. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, where are you calling in from? I am currently in Vancouver in Canada. Very beautiful out there. It's so a bit cold today. All right. Let's dive into the questions. So my first question is, for our listeners who may not know, could you give us an overview of your career and how you got started in fintech? Yeah, so I've been working in the accounting industry for over 20 years, and we built one of the largest IT consulting company in, in Canada that was providing services to accountants and bookkeepers. And we also built an online accounting software that was used by more than 40,000 small businesses and we had a successful exit in 2019, uh, just before the pandemic. And uh, during pandemic, uh, I got an opportunity to work with hundreds of small businesses uh, to see how difficult it is for them to share their business data with the banks, lenders, or fintech. Uh, and uh, we saw there's a problem, and uh, we founded Forward AI. You know that's why we founded it to make it easier for small businesses to share the data with the with the stakeholders, you know, anyone, including their accountant. So why only focus on small businesses? Was there a specific affinity you had towards them? Yeah, small businesses, you know, it, 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 it the genesis is in the one of the, my first business that I had during my college years. And that business failed because of cash flow problems. We built a great product. Uh, it was uh, setting up a small textile factory in northern India, uh, but that business failed very quickly because of cash flow problems. And uh, I, I was able to collect from 80, 90% from, of our clients, but, you know, small, small segment didn't pay it. Uh, and we were naive at that time and we didn't know how to make or how to run our business better, how to collect payments, the knowledge I have now. But I learned a lesson, and I'm sure uh, that was not the first business to fail because of cash flow problems, and uh, certainly wouldn't be the last one. We learned that lesson, and I saw firsthand how difficult life is for small businesses. And uh, we, we know that 82% of businesses, they fail because of cash flow problems. There are almost 32 million, 32 million businesses in the U.S. alone, and, uh, you know, and we are playing our role here. Like on our platform, we provide them a free cash flow planning app where they can project their cash flow. They can looking 
look at you know how their AR and AB is behaving. And in case they need to pick up a phone uh, to talk to their client, to ask them to make early payment or penalize them for making late payment, so they can do those kind of planning. And I know from experience that many small businesses, they are still making their decisions based on the intuition and that feeling. And we want them to look at the data, look at the insights and make smart decisions. And we want to reduce that number from 82%. And, and we want to play a, a role here to bring that number down. So talk to me about how Forward AI is doing that. How is Forward AI helping small businesses make smarter decisions? So the way our uh, doing way our technology works for for our clients is anytime let's say a bank they uh, their clients apply for a loan and uh, they will request access to the business data right inside the main customer journey. So let's say I got a request, I, I click on the link, I will enter my login ID and password, and that's how I will share my data with my lending partner, whether it's FinTech or whether it's accountant that I'm sharing with, that's the way technology works. And so they get the whole data to make a decision on my loan application. Uh, and for sure, you know, uh, currently you may know, Tharang, you know, banks don't want to deal with small businesses. Only 50, 20% of applications get approved. And part of the problem is it's very difficult for them to get access to the to the business data of these small businesses. So we want to make it easy because banks don't want to spend any time there because it costs them $3,000, $4,000 to look at one loan application. And they are not interested in funding 20K or 40K loan. They want to look at the 400K uh, amount, right? So that will make more sense for them. And we are playing a role that their lending partners, they get access to the data. And at the, at the same time, they also get an opportunity to share a subset of the data, very small data with their small business clients in the form of a cash flow planning platform where their client can see, like I shared before, AR, AP, those kind of information. They can do scenario planning. Let's say they, they win a new client for 40K, and they can look at the, their cash position and see if they have money or they will have cash to hire a new employee. And and uh, those kind of things they can plan, you know, if I get an 80K loan, how my cash position is going to look like for the next six months? Will it let me get through the difficult time or no? Those kind of planning work they can do here. There. So data sharing and data access and like, especially financial services, quite a delicate issue. How did you approach building a product that maintains its data integrity, but also reduces frictions, as you mentioned? That's a very good point, Tarang. You know, data security is very important. It's a critical piece of our technology. And our technology needs customer permission before they, any data can be shared. So they have to explicitly agree to share data. They can withdraw this request anytime. And we, we had some learning while building our online accounting software, a slick pie that we had before. And some of the lessons that we, we learned that time, how we should store data. So, and how we should display data, how we should deliver it back to the stakeholders. So we had great learnings that time. 
our technology is hosted on Amazon servers and we use the playbook from, from these major companies, big companies, and we know that Amazon is known for, for the security of their data centers. And we, we take a security first approach. Right from the day one, we knew that we are dealing with sensitive data. We will be sharing it with other stakeholders. So before we wrote our first line of code, we knew we understand security very carefully. We are SOC2 compliant company and data security is very important to us. And we, we go extra miles. All our employees, they have to go through background checks and, and those kind of things that, that are very important in the domain we operate in. So when you started out building this product, right, how did you approach it? Did you do the coding yourself? Did you have a team do it for you or did you outsource that? Like how, what was the mechanics of it? No, I didn't code myself, even though, you know, I, I was an engineer, but, you know, uh, that that's something I didn't enjoy. And uh, I, I'm sure I would have been a terrible engineer. Uh, I'm kind of person who focused more on the business side uh, and planning and, and dream and about tomorrow. But we had a great company here. You know, I have my co-founder, Jag. We have been working together for over 25 years. And Jag is a, is a technical person, and he worked with the, uh, our CTO co-founder, Joe. And uh, Joe is a relatively uh, young guy, you know, he very smart person, new member to the team. So at the time of founding Forward AI, we asked him to join us because he worked with us on a few other projects. And uh, we are grateful that he joined us because, like I shared, he was the He's a bright star in our company, and he he was the top student in in his class, and he was very helpful here in building a team, great team, in hiring those people. We had some people in our team before, but you know, and we were able to leverage that team to to start kickstart our our journey at Forward AI. And you launched Forward AI in early twenty twenty one. Did the COVID restrictions affect your plan of launch or how your strategy of growth in any way? And the biggest impact I, I, I saw is, you know, uh, in, in COVID, uh, the mindset I had before COVID that everyone had to come in the office. Uh, and uh, that was a big change for me. And we learned how to work remotely, how to work effectively and what are the challenges and work on those things. Productivity-wise, uh, productivity I think it's too early to say we, we are still looking at the hybrid model right now and still monitoring how the landscape changes. We, we had some issues with the remote working before, but the tools, you know, like MS Team and uh, you know, those kind of things, they have been very helpful. Uh, and... I wouldn't say that it impacted us significantly in launching the product or, or in the growth of our, our journey. But, you know, like all other companies, we are still looking at, is there any better way to do things? And, you know, as a CEO, my job is to look what else we can do better. You know? And uh, it's part of the journey we are still going through. Diving a bit deeper into forward AI, right? Who were like your first clients and how did you get them? Were they through a sales approach or did you get them through previous relationships? And right now, as you stand, right, what is your growth metrics and your future vision for the, let's say, five years? Yeah, so we we got our, because our clients are, 
are financial institutions. Uh, they, they, they are the of uh, primary, primary client for our core technology precise. And we got them through, through sales channel. We met them at the conferences uh, and had few calls with them. We have clients in the US, Canada, UK, Australia, and New Zealand, and all those. And But the next year, uh, or so this year, we are going to focus a lot more in the US market because we we are bringing a new piece of technology that I believe is going to be very helpful in improving the financial health of small businesses. Uh, we can play a role. Our partners can play a role. That's how we got it. Uh, we on the we get sign up on, on uh, we get sign up on daily basis uh, from accounting firms as well to use our our technology. So that part is mostly being product led. And we don't outreach them active, proactively, no, no sales calls or anything. So it's a mix of both. Regarding your five-year journey, uh, I, I believe it's still very early in the journey here. Let, let me share, Tran, what's happening in the small business space so that we, we know where we are coming from. Like I shared, it's still very difficult for small business clients to get any kind of funding from from the lenders. Banks are still taking days and weeks to make a decision. If you are selling online on Shopify or, or a contractor, it will take you days and weeks to get any kind of decision, sometimes even month, right? And the way life works is if you are a contractor, you need that 50K today in the bank account so that you can go to Home Depot or somewhere, buy raw material, do the job, build that client for 70, 80K. That's the way our economy works, right? But if I don't have those 50K sitting, my only option is applying for the loan. And if banks is taking that long, that's not going to help. And because they're still looking at the legacy data, like uh, like credit score or, or three years of financial projections, most businesses, they don't have those kind of things. We want to change that. And uh, other thing, you know, payment space, uh, you know, we live in a world where you order a Netflix on Friday and you watch it immediately or, or you walk. We used to walk to a restaurant, but now we don't anymore. We just order our food and it, it gets delivered to us in 10 minutes, sometimes 20 minutes, right? But in payment side, in the business payment side, we still see, that if your clients pay you on Friday afternoon, you are not going to see that money in your bank till Monday. So there is two days, three days gap. That's causing huge cash flow problems for small businesses. There was a data that more than $1 trillion is stuck in U.S. economy at any given time. And that caused all kinds of cash flow challenges. And we want to play a role. We want to make it easier for small businesses to get access to funds. They shouldn't go for expensive solutions like merchant cash advance. We have so much innovation today in our space that lenders or banks, they should be able to look at the data in real time, pre-approve it, have funds in their account by end of the day. In most cases, I would like them to send funds in seconds if possible, but if not seconds, Maybe in a few hours that that may be acceptable thing. So you can see there are a lot of challenges there. 
And this can happen only if there is an ecosystem or there is some infrastructure that can unlock access to the data that's sitting in these accounting systems, banking platforms, e-commerce systems, right? So we are building that kind of infrastructure, and we believe there would be a day when moving data from one business platform to another business platform will be very seamless. And businesses, they use more than 20 20 different kind of apps at any given time. If they look at their screen, they have something like a QuickBooks Online app on Shopify, something for collections, something for payment, you know, those kind of apps. And today, those systems, they don't talk to each other. And there's no connectivity. And we are building that kind of plumbing so that it's easier to move data from one system to another system. Uh, and I, I, today, we believe only 1% of the financial institutions, they use some kind of technology like this one. So we have huge market in front of us, and we believe in within next five years, that's going to happen. Moving data from one system to another system will be seamless. It's going to happen. And other thing I'm very bullish on the, on the payment side, the things are going to change. Yeah. The consumer experience that we get in, in apps like Uber or Venmo, we don't see that kind of experience in any B2B app today. It, it's, it's still very outdated, and that's going to change, I believe, within next five years. Most of the businesses, you know, they are going to receive the money as soon as they deliver their job. The landscaper comes to your business, they do the work, and they will have money in their bank account delivered and deposited right away. That's going to happen in the next five years. And that's going to happen because of the technology that we are building or, or, or the other players in the ecosystem are playing, building too. On that note, do you think that mid to big size banks would be motivated to enter into this segment and try and build their own solutions? Or do you feel that it's mostly a disruption play where new entrants in the market will make this happen? Well, banks are always trying try to do those kind of things, right? But it, it's it's going to make more sense for them to partner with the innovative companies like us who have built the core technology and bring that kind of technology to their platform. For example, it's it's banks, they do need to get data on accounts receivable. Let's talk about the payment side. Let's say they want their clients to get money from any bank in the U.S. There are 10,000 financial institutions almost. They need to get those kind of invoices, what those invoices are need to be paid, right? So that, you know, they can create some kind of interface on their platform and they can enable those kind of functionality. I believe it's going to be a partnership between banks and fintechs. Banks won't be able to build all those integrations by themselves. It's a lot of work. I can I can share a lot of testing and quality control goals in, in building any kind of APS solutions. And there are hundreds of them right, in the market. Even though we connect to the leading, all the major one, you know, that covers almost 80, 90% market share. And I don't think any bank is going to build those kind of integrations by themselves. Regarding the payment side, we... We know the real-time payment from the clearing house is here. Uh, even though adoption has been poor, 
And there are almost, uh, I would say, on the business side, around 70% banks, you know, uh, your DDA accounts that they support today. But uh, with Fed now coming here in March, sometime in summer, not in March, it's May, after May, we believe that's going to accelerate the adoption of real-time payment. With Fed now, you know, you can push money from your business account to another business account. Uh, those kind of things are going to happen, and it's going to happen with the partnership with the partnership of companies like us and banks. My next question is my favorite one: Is forward AI hiring? If yes, what do you look for in people you partner with or you work with? Yes, we are always hiring, and uh, we we look for people who are hungry for the knowledge and they are willing to make a difference. We, we, we are a startup, uh, we are a small company, still a small company, and uh, every person's contribution matters. So we look for people who, who are accountable, or who can take responsibility. And uh, we work as a team, though we expect you to be working independently most of the time. You should be someone who, who can take directions from me or, or the senior management work on the issues, and come back to us with solutions. Instead of expecting us to offer a solution, come back to us with options. That's the kind of mindset we need. We are here to support you, uh, and we will guide you, we'll support you, we'll make sure you know you get full help here, but, but you do need mindset, and we need people who believe that APIs are going to change the world and, and they should be willing to operate in B2B domain, working with small businesses, understand that domain. Those are the kind of people we are looking for. Yeah, we are hiring in almost in all, all major segments like sales or mostly in engineering and marketing and customer service. That's going to be a major one in, in coming months. Yeah. Since you're in Vancouver, my next question is, what is your take on the current fintech ecosystem in Canada? What do you think are the biggest segments within fintech there? And do you believe that there's a lot of growth opportunity? Yes, uh, I do believe uh, there, there's a growth opportunity. Fintech systems are very similar to U.S. being so close to, to the market here. Very, very similar things that we see here. Uh, Canadian ecosystem is, is very supportive to, to fintech and high-tech companies we have. Great examples like Wealthsimple or Shopify. Those are the kind of companies that are world known. Uh, and uh, even though most of the fintech activity, I, I see they are on the East Coast side, like on, on the Toronto or Montreal. And uh, though I am on the West Coast side, but you know we have few fintech companies, good fintech companies here as well. We don't have as many unicorns that we see in the U.S., <laughs> but but we still have really good companies here, and, and the ecosystem is very supportive here, too. And, and we Thank might get open banking uh, before U.S. gets, even though we have some in some forum, but the formal one, we might get it before you guys get it there. And you talked about the things that you're excited about in fintech. Are there any segments that you're bearish on that you think are past their prime? Yes, uh, I believe... Uh, it, Consumer BNPL, you know, I think that that's kind of overrated and there are so many challenges and uh, we can see that now when the, in the environment of high interest rates and uh, 
I, I think that market is going to struggle. You know, it was really getting out of control. You know, when when you can order your McDonald McDonald food on on BNPL, you know that that's that sounds a bit too much there. So that's the kind of segment, you know, I, I believe, and consumer lending as well, because especially on the fintech side, because they don't have the cost of capital that that's available to the bank. Yeah, bank might make good money in this kind of environment or uh, in the next few years, and that I expect the interest rates to stay for next couple of years on the higher side than on the lower side. So these are the two domains I I. I think, you know, I'm, I'm bearish now because look at the B2B PNPL. You know, you can trust business data more. You can help in the economy. Anytime you lend to a, a business, you are putting money in the economy because that business owner, it's going to help them get through a difficult time. And, and the business will be able to survive. They'll be uh, able to buy the product because they have the cash time to buy inventory or whatever they need to do to get through a difficult time. Uh, but I don't have the same kind of hope for, for consumer BNPL. For my next segment, I'd like to introduce you more as a person to our listeners. And I have a couple of rapid fire questions lined up for you. Mm-hmm. My first question is, what is a fun fact about you that most people don't know? I think... Uh, uh, gardening is something that that I enjoy, and even though I don't get much time to do it here, most of the time it rains here in Vancouver. Uh, but in some time, I, I I do get some time during summer or springtime. I enjoy that one. That gives me peace, happiness, and contentment. And sometimes I think if I wouldn't be a tech founder, what I would be doing. Maybe I'll be a gardener or landscaper and I would have made sure, you know, you have this beautiful looking front yard, your backyard with all those different kind of plants. Are there any risky career decisions that you made and what what was your thought process while making them? I think I, I made a lot of risky decisions in my life. And like I shared, setting up the first uh, textile factory, you know, that, that was pretty risky. I lost almost all of my savings that I had from tutoring kids, uh, physics and math, you know, all my money was gone. That was pretty risky move that time, but I was able to do because I was young. Then, you know, founding my previous business, you know, I had a stable, good paying job and we, we took months and months to decide what to do. And that was a long journey for us. And I'm glad we made the move, took the decision. Uh, and even though we didn't have any clients in the early days, but uh, but that worked out nicely at the end. What advice would you give aspiring entrepreneurs, especially those who have been in the industry for 10 to 12 years and have a stable career now? Yeah, that's challenging. You know, 10, 12 years, you know, is a long time. And I assume you have seen a problem, you know, you have seen a pain point wherever you're working and you think, you know, uh, you can build a business around it. That's, that's very important. Uh, and uh, you, you, you are at the stage of your life where, where you, you do, do need to do more planning and more work than I did in my time. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, if you believe, you know, you can build a business and, uh, you know, try to get 
few early customers uh, and uh, you know see if there is a demand for it uh, this one and uh, there are customers who are going to pay you for this product or, or the the service you are providing and if it works you know then go go full speed in it and uh, only advice i will give is you know once you you decide you know you do talk to other people in the domain and try take your time do full research you know thinking how you are going to survive because any time you know you run into financial difficulties that that's going to be very very stressful so take your time but once you decide make you you stay focused and don't give up the way i did my in on my first gig 30 years ago don't give up because you know you will win and the, the truth is winners never quit and quitters never win on that note i'll let it get back to work nick but thank you so much for being on the show today thank you thrang thanks for having me thank you for listening to today's episode of the what in fintech podcast if you like the show then please show us some love on social media or consider leaving a review it means a lot to us and helps spread the word to more listeners if you want more content from our fintech community please subscribe to our podcast and find us on linkedin instagram twitter and medium at wharton fintech there you will find interviews articles videos and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry as always special thanks to our editor rafael ostria signing off until next time i am your host tarang gupta